Bibles to 2 Chronicles chapter 17, 2 Chronicles chapter 17. I entitled the message, the, <clears throat> the Fear of the Lord, the Fear of the Lord, because it has a lot to do with Asa here tonight in our chapter. In chapter 17 is the beginning of the life and the reign of King uh, Jehoshaphat. I'm sorry, I was dealing with Jehoshaphat. I'm thinking of Asa. We'll tell you why in a minute. But chapter 17 is the beginning of the life and reign of King Jehoshaphat, who was one of the first three of royal kings, one of the best kings that ever held a scepter in Judah since the death of David. He was the good son of a good father. So the grace of his father was in Jehoshaphat's blood as well. And happy is the son that had such a good father, who laid such a good foundation for him and in him. And happy is the father that had such a good son to build upon that foundation that he laid. Happy is the kingdom that was blessed with two good kings and two good reigns together. In chapter 17, we have Jehoshaphat's accession to an establishment in the throne. We see his personal godliness. We see the actions that Jehoshaphat took to encourage, you know, religion in his kingdom. We also see the mighty influence that Jehoshaphat displayed among the neighbors and also the great strength of his kingdom, both in his forts and in his armies. So Jehoshaphat's prosperity was the reward for his godliness. And his godliness was the brightest grace and evidence of his prosperity. And in chapters 17 through 20, it records the second big revival. It was much larger than the revival of Asa. And Jehoshaphat, Asa's son, was a man who was used greatly by God. Chronicles gives us God's viewpoint of the period of the kings and records what God thinks to be important during the reign of these men. So let's begin with verses 1 and 2 of chapter 17. And it reads, Then Jehoshaphat, his son, that is Asa's son, reigned in Asa's place and strengthened himself against Israel. And he placed troops in all the fortified cities of Judah and set garrisons in the land of Judah and in the cities of Ephraim, which Asa, his father, had taken. So it says that Jehoshaphat strengthened himself against Israel, the northern kingdom. Back in chapter 16, there was war, remember, between Judah and Israel. Jehoshaphat is now taking safety measures to protect his kingdom. Now, if Jehoshaphat would have gone to Syria for help against Israel like his father Asa did back in chapter 16, verse 2, he would have been subject to rebuke like his father. But by keeping his military posts ready for battle, making sure that they had enough men and that they were ready for war, he was using practical wisdom, which again is highly praised by God. Jesus said in Luke 12, 39 and 40, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. So the action that Jehoshaphat took here gives us some ideas about the wisdom of spiritual strengthening, spiritual strengthening. First of all, we have to remember who we are and who God is. We have to remember where we are. We are living in the enemy's territory. We are living in the enemy's land. It's a foreign land. We're not at home. Are you in spiritual bondage or are you enjoying true spiritual freedom tonight? 
Is God your only ruler? Are you rejoicing in his loving grace? Is your heart right with him? If you are, are you free from the control of all other masters? Is your spiritual condition a faithful one that honors God and is free from all other slavery and subjection that honors God? Secondly, the next important thing to think about here is are you taking, the, are you taking wise steps to strengthen yourself against your natural enemies? You see, it's not wise to take for granted that because things are okay now, that that's the way they're going to stay, you know, in the long run. Now, eternal security, it's a great doctrine. It's a great doctrine, but it's not biblical. Don't take it simply as a comforting assumption. Listen to the warning of God's word. Romans eleven nineteen through 22. Paul said this. You will say then, branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well said. Because of unbelief, they were broken off and you stand by faith. Do not be haughty, but fear. Because if God did not spare the natural branches, which were the Jews, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider that notice, consider the goodness and the severity of God on those who fell severity. But toward you, goodness. Here it is. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you will be cut off. Colossians 1.23, Paul said, You were once alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now he has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you. Notice, he's going to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight if. That's a big word here. If indeed you continue in the faith, the saving faith of Jesus Christ, grounded and steadfast and you are not moved away from the hope that is the assurance of the gospel which you hear. The scriptures are very clear. Saving faith is a total reliance upon Jesus Christ for salvation. There is no other security in anything or anywhere else. It's not what I do. It's what he has done. Therefore, Paul said, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. Jesus said in Revelation 3 two, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works uh, perfect before God. Revelation 3.11, Jesus, behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have that no one may take your crown. Jesus said in Matthew 26, 41, watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see, in light of God's word, in light of what it says, and knowing our natural weaknesses, these things should make us think about what we should do to strengthen ourselves. What steps we should take to make sure that the enemy doesn't invade my life. And that the responsibility God has given to us to guard our life from being defiled by the enemy doesn't happen. So then how does a person do that? How does a person spiritually strengthen their life? How do they strengthen themselves? Well, how about by spiritual fortification? That is building up your spiritual defenses. It says in verse 2 that Jehoshaphat placed troops, notice, in all the fortified cities, and he set garrisons in the land. Now, how does this apply to us? Well, how about the fortified strongholds of a well-thought-out plan for our life? What do I plan to do with my life? That should be a question well thought out and clearly answered by every single one of us. I have certain resources, like time, talent, 
education, moral awareness, and so on. All kinds of sudden emergencies pop up in our life. All sorts of moral questions constantly come up. Should I do this or that? Should I go here or there? Should I go into this or that business? Should I let myself take part in this or that pleasure? Should I indulge in something like this? Those situations and answers are dealt with at once and decided by the simple presence of having a plan. This is Christ's suggestion of, moral, of, of that moral plan. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness always do, and always doing the things that please the Father. Now, how does placed troops in all of the fortified cities and set garrisons in the land apply to us? Again, how about developing good devotional habits? How about corporately and individually? That is, corporately, that is the church, we need to develop good devotional habits. And individually, we have to develop good personal uh, devotional habits. Habits that will improve spiritual communion, like word and prayer. Habits that will result in God speaking to us and us speaking to Him. Also, how about uh, by getting involved in serving? There's nothing more likely to keep the godly flame burning and your spiritual integrity pure than to regularly and, and directly be involved in serving others. Also, how about by keeping a right attitude in your heart? Humility. Being aware that I have to depend upon God for everything. Having an attitude of carefulness and watchfulness for the first sign of evil against us or in us. Having an attitude of thoughtfulness. The disposition to let our mind think about those things that are noble, that are just, that are pure. Things that are important and valuable towards God's truth. Uh, uh, towards God's truth uh, and toward the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verses 3 through 6 now. Now. The Lord was with Jehoshaphat, notice here it is, because he walked in the former ways of his father David, he did not seek the Baals, but sought the God of his father and walked in his commandments and not according to the acts of Israel. Therefore, the Lord established the kingdom in his hand and all Judah gave presents to Jehoshaphat and he had riches and honor in abundance and his heart took delight in the ways of the Lord. Moreover, he removed the high places and wooden images from Judah. <clears throat> this was a wise thing that he did. You see, and a wise choice leads to doing the right thing. The king, the king made, the king made, excuse me, just a minute. Okay, ready. Okay. Uh, the king made the wise choice. In what the king did, we see promises for ourselves. Now, Jehoshaphat, he's an example for us. He chose the true God over the false gods. Look what it says in verse 3 again. Notice, he sought the God of his father and not the Baals. He also chose a model to follow, David. He didn't choose to follow Abijah, not Rehoboam, whose lives were way less than perfect. He didn't even choose to follow Solomon, but David's life. And notice, not the past part of David's life, but it says here, the former ways of his father David. You see, the first part of David's life was when he was a young king trusting in the Lord. Now, here's where Jehoshaphat showed good judgment. He couldn't have done a wiser thing than decide to cling to the God of his fathers. 
the merciful and gracious God who had called him and brought the kingdom into existence, the God that he and his father owed for all that they were and all that they had. That's the God that he chose to serve. Jehoshaphat couldn't have made a better choice for his model to follow than the devoted and faithful David and to choose the earlier and better part of David's life. Now, we also have a similar choice in front of us. Who are we going to pattern our life after? And we have to make up our mind that we're going to do it. We have to make up our mind what we're going to do. Who's your model that you're going to follow? We have to choose what God we are going to serve. The God of our fathers, the Heavenly Father, our Lord and Savior, or, 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 or this passing world with its you know, second-rate goodness, its fading privileges, and its temporary joys. We have to decide whose steps we're going to follow. In the, uh, is it going to be the shakers and the movers of the world, the, the latest guru or philosopher? Are we going to follow the latest pleasures and movements and fads? Or those of the God-fearing and sincere man and follow those godly characters in his life, the man Christ Jesus? Then the right path is promising for us. The one that Jehoshaphat took. Jehoshaphat had all that a king could want, and it says, because he walked in the former ways of David. And because he did, that is because he did walk in the former ways of David, he experienced, number one, God's presence. Because verse 3 says, notice, the Lord was with him. He experienced a sense that his kingdom was becoming secure because verse 5 says the Lord established the kingdom. He experienced the testimony of his people's affection for him because also in verse 5 it says all Judah gave him presents. And also in verse 5 it says riches and honor in abundance. Also he experienced joy in his heart. He experienced wonderful and continuous gladness in serving the Lord. The first part of verse 6. And also, the use of his power to further cleanse the land. It says in the second part of verse 6, he removed the high places and wooden images for, from Judah. You see, he didn't just hear the word of God. He took action when he heard it. These were all signs that God approved of King Jehoshaphat. And all of these blessings that he experienced were because of his faithfulness to the Lord. Now, this isn't guaranteed to anybody. But if we make the wiser choice, we can be sure that our life will be a life of true blessing. Now, to us, there will be available when we follow God's path, when we follow, again, his righteousness, we, we will be guaranteed all that we need. You know, David said in Psalm 23, when the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. I shall not lack any good thing. I will not lack what I need. Secondly, the, we, we will also, what we'll also have available to us is the always abiding presence of God. We read in John 14, 23, if anyone loves me, Jesus said he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Thirdly, there will be available to us the peace that Jesus Christ gives his people. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. And we will also have a joy that no one can take from us. John 16, 22, Jesus, your joy that no one will take from you. Also, 
what will be available to us is the spiritual conditions of a holy usefulness. That is, we will have the means and the chance to be used by God and to be an encouraged influence to other people and to encourage many lives. You see, we have a hope that doesn't disappoint us. Verses 7 through 9. Also in the third year of his reign, that is Jehoshaphat's reign, he sent his leaders, Ben-Hale, Obadiah, Zechariah, Methanel, and Micaiah to teach in the cities of Judah. And with them he sent Levites, Shemaiah, Nethaniah, Zebediah, Asael, Shemiramoth, Jehonathan, um, Adonijah, Tobijah, and Tobanadijah, the Levites, and with them Elishama and Jehoram the priests. So they notice. So they taught in Judah and had the book of the law of the Lord with them. They went throughout all the cities of Judah. Notice and taught the people. Here's why the people became strong because they were a taught people. You can't just get rid of the bad. That is like the high places and, 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 and the wooden images that we saw here. You have to be taught the good as well. The people of Judah were ignorant of God's word. They had never taken the time to listen to and talk about God's law and understand how it could change them. And that's why God said in Hosea 4, 6, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge of the word of God. He says, because they didn't know me. They don't know me. Jehoshaphat knew that knowing God's commands was the first step to getting people to live the way they should live. So what did he do? He started a nationwide teaching program of the word of God. You see, he reversed the spiritual decline that happened at the end of his father's reign by putting God first in the people's minds and instilling in them You need to have a commitment and a calling to God. And because Jehoshaphat did this, the nation started following God. And you see, that's what happens when you give people good Bible teaching, Bible study, and personal and family devotions are necessary for living the life that God intended for us to live. Jehoshaphat wasn't on the throne for very long before he took this step that was designed to help and truly bless the nation. Teaching the people from the book of the law of the Lord was better than strengthening himself against Israel by increasing his forts and his army. Jehoshaphat started a Bible teaching program. He sent out his leaders, his Levites, and his priests. Jehoshaphat sent them out by the hundreds, maybe even the thousands. And they went throughout the whole kingdom teaching the word of God. This is how revival starts. And until the church gets back to the word of God, there will not be any real revival. That's why the church is weak today. That's why it can't live above its trials and its weaknesses today. The psalmist said, I will lift up my eyes to the hills from whence comes my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The psalmist was saying there, if Jehovah created the heavens and the earth, then he is a good, uh, he is a God of power, a God of wisdom and glory. We have nothing to fear. Satan and his demonic forces may be at work coming against the saints, but he is still our he is still the, the father of this world. 
who created all things. Everything that we do, whether it's at home or at work or in our individual lives or in the churches, it will come to nothing unless it is all founded on the word of God. Now, let's look at what happened as a result of the teaching of the word of God. Look at verse 10. And the fear of the Lord fell on all the kingdoms of the lands that were around Judah so that they did not make war against Jehoshaphat. Notice that the fear of the Lord, the song, the, in Proverbs says, is the beginning of knowledge. Proverbs 1, 7, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. James says in chapter 2, verse 19, you say you have faith because you believe that there is one God. He said, good for you. I'm reading from the, the, the New Living Translation. He said, good for you. He said, even the demons believe this. And they tremble. But here's the difference between the church and demons. The demons tremble, but the church doesn't. At the name of Jesus, because if, he did, if the church did, they wouldn't do some of the stuff or half the stuff that they do. What does it mean to have the fear of the Lord? Well, it means not it, 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 it's it's not meaning that that we tremble in fright of God. In the sense that God is a big, mean bully. No, it means respecting him for who he is. And who we are, it's understanding that God is God and we are not. And those who really honestly fear the Lord bow their knees and their heart before him and admit that he made the world, he runs the world, and everything else according to his plan. And respect for God is where knowledge begins, and it's where it continues, and it's where all knowledge will end. Learning leads to God. Learning will draw us closer and closer to God. If your learning leads you away from God, you're learning the wrong things. If your learning leads you towards greater independence from God and His Word, you are studying with the wrong teachers. That's what happened to Eve. Satan tried to get Eve to act independent of God. Did God really say? Because he knew if he could get Eve to act independent of God, Satan would have her where he wanted her. She would have no victory. All true learning starts with understanding that there is a God and that all of us one day are going to stand before him and give an account for our lives. You know, and it doesn't matter how well educated we are or how many degrees we have or how much we've given the Lord or served the Lord. Because you see, if we do not have the fear of the Lord, we are better off being uneducated, an uneducated reader of the Bible who at least believed in God. Someone said, education doesn't guarantee wisdom or success, but a crutch to depend on yourself. You see, the fear of the Lord is what made Jehoshaphat so powerful. Verses 11 through 19. Also, some of the Philistines brought Jehoshaphat presents and silver as tribute. And the Arabians brought him flocks, 7,700 rams and 7,700 male goats. So Jehoshaphat became increasingly powerful and he built fortresses and storage cities in Judah. He had much property in the cities of Judah and the men of war, mighty men of valor, were in Jerusalem. These are their numbers according to their father's house. Of Judah, the captains of thousands. 
Adna, the captain, and with him 300,000 mighty men of valor. And next to him was Jehoanan, the captain, and with him 280,000. And next to him was Amasiah, the son of Zikri, notice, who willingly offered himself to the Lord, and with him 200,000 mighty men of valor. Of Benjamin, Eliada, a mighty man of valor, and with him 200,000 men armed with bow and shield. And next to him was Jehoshaphat, and with him 180,000 prepared for war. And these served the king, besides those the king put in the fortified cities throughout all Judah. Jehoshaphat had to build huge storage places to store all the gifts that the people had given him. Jehoshaphat was greatly used by God. You see, when revival came to Judah, it affected all the nations around them. That revival spread all around. Even the Philistines, who were their never-ending enemies of David, they became friendly and sent gifts and silver as a sign of respect for Jehoshaphat. Proverbs 16, 7 says, When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. The revival even made its way to the Arabian people. The Arabs sent flocks of animals to him, 7,700 rams and 7,700 goats. You'll also see that it says there, there was no war against him. You see, fear of the Lord brings peace. And fear of God, reverence of God, is a cure for war as it's a cure for many other things. The fear of God is a cure for a lot of ungodly behavior that's committed by Christians every day. Fear of the Lord is a cure for anger. It's a cure for gossip. It's a cure for bitterness. It's a cure for unforgiveness, for lying, for disunity, for division. We wouldn't wouldn't feel so free to do these things if we truly reverence the Lord. If a nation wants to have peace, it has to turn to God. That's God's way, and it always has been. If a nation is always at war, guess what? It's probably because that nation has turned away from God. Jehoshaphat's neighbors, they were afraid of Jehoshaphat's greatness. They thought of Jehoshaphat as being under God's protection. They weren't in a hurry to challenge him on the battlefield. Verses 14 through 19 here list Jehoshaphat's warriors who served in Jerusalem. Notice what it says about Amasiah Amasiah in verse 16. It says, Amasiah willingly offered himself to the Lord. You know what that means? It means nobody had to pressure him to do what God had called him to do. Nobody had to go looking for a leader. He stepped up. He didn't need to be supervised. He didn't need a leader. Amasiah offered himself to the Lord as a living sacrifice. He had no reservations about what he would do. He had no reservations about what he would be called to do. He had no reservations as to when it would have to be done. He had no reservations about how that service was going to be done. You see, in Amasiah, uh, we, we have an idea suggested to us about the character of a Hebrew general's life. And these words are really suggesting the true nature of all service to God, willingly offered to the Lord. First, we see the character of Messiah's service. 
by the words that are used here, it probably means that he took his job as a captain of Jehoshaphat's army in a spirit of spiritual devotedness. He was doing it for the Lord. Now, that might surprise some people. Because the idea today is is that war is wrong. And it isn't Christian-like. That's the modern thinking today. That would never be the thought, and it would trouble one's sense of right or wrong or anyone that was living during Amaziah's time. There wouldn't be any reason in his mind, in Amaziah's mind, why he shouldn't give himself willingly to be a professional soldier and to perform all of his military duties in the spirit of total self-surrender to the service of God. We need godly, committed warriors in our, in our United States services today. It's a calling. And whatever we might think about this, we should definitely come to the conclusion and act on the conviction that whatever we decide to do in life, we should look for a job and find one where we can give ourselves totally to God, totally devoted to the Lord. That is to do it as unto the Lord. Colossians 3.23. And whatever you do, notice, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. There's no reason why any profession shouldn't be considered a calling when he or she feels that it's a call of God and where they can continually serve God and honor his name. Where he or she does everything they can to show the simple graces that Jesus Christ has given to us by his word and by his example. Secondly, we see an Messiah willingness is an important characteristic of all acceptable service to God. Not complaining what we do, not complaining about how it's done, where it's done, when it's done, who does it. Every Christian service is seen by God and it's recorded in heaven. But did we do it willingly to the Lord? Because only willing service is worthy of acceptance. God doesn't love grudgeful giving. And I'm not talking about just finances, but about everything we give to him. In closing, when we submit and surrender our will into a life that's, that's godly, it's not knowledge, it's not feeling, it's not because I do it because it's mandatory or I do it just because I'm going to benefit from it. None of that is what makes a true child of God. All of this might be done, you know, in the sense that, that, you know, I do it with feeling, I, I do it when, you know, I have knowledge, you know, it's mandatory. I may do all of those things, and again, but that doesn't make a true child of God. I can still be separated from God. It doesn't matter how little you know, even though there's not much emotion, or even if, if you haven't done anything yet. If a man or a woman submits their will to the will of God and decides to surrender themselves to serving the Lord, then they're one of the Lord's redeemed. And they're walking on the right path to eternal life. And all he has to do is continue walking that path. Our daily service is only as good and acceptable in proportion to how it's done. Is it done cheerfully? Is it done willfully? 
doing the right thing, but doing it unwillingly with a reluctant, complaining, struggling obedience puts the servant at one end of God's scale of acceptableness to do the right thing with enthusiasm and cheerfulness and sincerity of spirit with an energetic excitement and, a, and, a, and an abounding joy puts the servant on the other end of the scale of God's acceptableness, approval, and reward. Paul said in Romans 12, 11, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit serving the Lord. Fervent, it means like being boiling hot. Not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit serving the Lord. Romans 12, 11, Psalm 102, serving the Lord with gladness. Not grumbling and complaining. God loves the cheerful giver. And that's whatever you give of him, your time, your strength, your mind, your heart, your hands, your feet, all of the opportunities that, that God gives you in life. Judah had 1,160,000 able-bodied soldiers. That's a really big army for such a little kingdom. Verse 19 says, these served the king. They served the king. They waited on the king. They were available to him. They were at his command. They were at his beck and call. And they were ready to take the battlefield whenever he gave the word. What a picture of the church of Jesus Christ should be to our Lord and Savior. To the captain of our salvation. Spiritual strengthening led to the right choices here. Spiritual strengthening that came because of the teaching of the word of God led to the right choices. It led to serving the true God. It led to teaching the word of God. It led to the fear of God, which led to blessings and serving the king. Father, thank you for such an awesome chapter, Lord. Father, a powerful, revealing chapter, God. And Lord, help us to have the fear of the Lord, God. Help us to, to tremble before him, not in fear, a cowardly fear as, as if he was a big, uh, mean bully, but of the holiness and the mightiness creator of all. God, help us to hold him in high esteem, God. Help us to give him this, the, the reverence that he's due. That we would have the fear of the Lord. That would cure a lot of our human weaknesses that we have. which are not excusable because God has given us everything to be all that we need to be, to be more than conquerors, he said. Maybe you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And you're not experiencing the victories in life. Because maybe you don't know God. You don't know who he is. His holiness. His majesty. 
The worship team's going to lead us in a time of worship. And if you want to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior, then as we worship, you get up out of your seat. <clears throat> you make your way down the aisles to the steps up front. I'll meet you there. And when the song is over, we'll pray together a simple prayer of faith.